was kind of trapped in a corner. And we're live. Are we not doing the content warning? <laughs> no, we're live. No, Gabby said no. Okay. No content warning. Whoop. Without ping. That's, hey. That's our intro for today. Um, uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Toxicology, the best mental health and addiction live streaming show on Facebook. Uh, I am Joseph Gorordo. I am the vice president of outreach at Recovery Unplugged, which uh, is the organization that helps us to put this, uh, this show on for you guys every week. If it's your first time here, thank you for joining us. Um, if you're coming back for more, thanks for coming back. Uh, please uh, like, share, tell your friends, spread the word um, that this is the place to be, to have uh, some, some in-depth, real conversations about uh, some real issues regarding addiction and mental health. Um, as we go through the show today, please feel free. We love interaction. If you want to throw some comments in the in the live stream, if you have questions for anybody who's on the show today, um, please don't hesitate and uh, let's get right into it. So uh, we have, as always, uh, my and the Andy Richter to my Conan, the... What else, Jason? You got something for me? I don't. I don't. Oh no! I was going to do the turn like you tried to do when you came oh, in. Oh, you're. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Turn back. Turn back. Okay. Okay. Uh, as always, the trusty sidekick, the Robin to my Batman, the the uh, um, Harley Quinn to my Joker. <laughs> hey! Thanks for having me. Can, can you cite that initial remark that we're the best? Uh, Best live stream on Facebook. Do you have any info to back that up? Um, I did a survey. Uh, okay. Sample size consisting entirely of friends of mine in Austin, Texas. And <laughs> Your wife and kids say this is the best live stream. <laughs> on 7 p.m. Central Time Thursday night. 75% of the members of my household believe that this is the best <laughs> live stream. We got a flying bad, Joe. That's good. <laughs> Um, and uh, so today we're going to be talking about harm reduction, and we have a, a beautiful, lovely, amazing person joining us today. Um, everybody, this is a, a we were talking a little bit before the show. Clifton is someone who used to work at Recovery Unplugged, but I never, uh, we never had to work together that much. We, would, we were like ships passing in the night, but um, he's someone whose reputation, whose aura just, just, uh, exudes positivity exudes healing and love and and you know uh intelligence and just clifton's just an amazing guy and you just know it even if you don't know him super well um so uh without any further ado clifton fair he is a cgp ilm7 lmhc i don't even know what all those letters do but uh, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about you real quick clifton Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Warm welcome. And um, I, Jason, I know Jason as well uh, from uh, the work we've done together at, at uh, Recovery Unplugged, uh, currently working uh, in private practice as an LMHC um, and also working in the negative world as a uh, ILM7, which is a uh, international leadership, man leadership and mentoring uh, certification for professionals and uh, C-suite execs. Um, just coaching and mentoring um, <clears throat> and uh, international certification and uh, uh, group psychotherapy. Um, that's, that's what those letters mean, Joe. International <laughs> certification, man. So yes, Cliff, Cliff is a man who has put in some work, y'all. And look, you're getting some love in the comments. Jennifer N. said, Cliff is amazing. So, hey, dude, what's up, dude? Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, Jen. Big ups. Yeah. So even though I have not had the pleasure of getting to know you super, super well, Cliff, Jason here has. Um, Jason, tell us about tell us tell us some things about Cliff that Cliff won't tell himself. <laughs> um, Jason, I have I some money. Yeah, I got some money, Jason. Listen, yeah, I got no, five. That's the thing about Clifton is that he is just very humble, and if you just if you just give him some some honest positive feedback, he has a hard time digesting and accepting it. He is uh, 
He will. So Clifton, full disclosure here, Clifton was not my primary therapist, but I was in many of Clifton groups and confided him in him with him quite a bit while I was a client at Recovery Unplugged. So he started his first day at Recovery Unplugged was my first day of IOP. So I, I feel like we kind of started a journey together because I was just getting out into the real world and he was there. So we got to talk a lot. Um, and yeah, he's just, you know, his, his positivity and energy was just, I, I've never, you know, be, going through a treatment center as a client and then working there and knowing, you know, dozens and dozens of staff members and hundreds of clients like you, you hear about the bullshit that you know people would say about each other and i i honestly can say that i don't think i've ever heard anybody say anything negative about this universally loved universally loved <laughs> um, no that's, that's awesome and, and you know, Cliff, the majority of my clinical work that when I was still doing a lot of clinical work was in IOP and that IOP level of care, like what Jason was talking about, like when you've been sober a couple months and you're starting to hit that wall of real life, man, that was my jam. I loved, you know, getting to walk through clients um, when it was real deal, right? Like you could go get drunk right after group, you know, you can go find a job like, you know, like it's, it's on you now. And we're here to support you on this. Uh, that was my favorite. It, so, I mean, IOP was was definitely, uh, I feel like, a great place for me to to uh, really kind of cut my teeth as a brand new um, uh, registered mental health counseling intern uh, because I, I I really feel like they gave me probably one of those caseloads when I first started, and I just kept telling you know the the leaders of the organization you know hey give me give me more. Uh, because although it was tough, the, the reward in seeing people really come out on the other side, people such as Jason coming out on the other side on a day-to-day -day basis um, uh, of what life looked like, as you just described it, Joe, you know, having to make those tough decisions about do I throw it all away immediately after groups uh, with this next decision that I make and, and knowing that, you know, I myself as a therapist, you know, at RU, um, kind of held, you know, held some of that glue, you know, in their, in their program of recovery, uh, together. It, it just, it was humbling. It, it still is a humbling experience. Um, so, I mean, shout out to all the, you know, all those around the country and around the world that are some, uh, outpatient intensive outpatient programs, you know, fighting for it every day, doing the work, hanging in there. And that was, I think that was one of the, one of the things that Jason and I talked about back in the day. And I still, I still hold true to, to, to it today. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to all the guys who are in IOP right now at any facility, anywhere. That's that's the real work, y'all. That's the real work. Um, and you're doing it. Um, so let's uh, let's get into our topic for today. So harm reduction um, is, uh, you know, it, it can be kind of a sticking point. Right. Um, a lot of. Uh, you know, the, the traditional 12 step fellowships really hold to abstinence as being the only path to recovery and uh, for good or for ill. Right. The treatment, uh, the, tr the 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 entire treatment industry sprung forth from people who recovered in those 12 step fellowships. So that kind of became the de facto definition of recovery. And um, as a professional, as a licensed professional who is in 12-step recovery. Um, harm reduction is, is something that I've had a journey with for sure. Um, but uh, let's just start off like, what is harm reduction? Who wants to jump on it? I mean, I, like, I, I will. You have I'll more letters. Let's okay. <laughs> okay. go more letters than anybody. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, realistically, um, you know, the evolution of, you know, the access to substances really has just uh, increased tremendously. It's gone from mom and dad's um, medicine cabinet and the local bars to, um, you know, just the incredible accessibility in various forms, whether it's through social media, um, you know, within our communities, just, I mean, it's, it's so, you know, it's just so accessible. So, um, 
in order to combat that because not everybody is willing and ready to say, hey, I have a problem because so many people are just kind of stuck in the middle of that, the grasp of addiction. They, could, they couldn't even see it. It's like being in the middle of the forest. So um, rather than trying to have that distance, which is like uh, uh, use and then treatment, now there's like, you know, some some additional fillers that are going to be backed by the by, by leaders in, in our um in the, in the White House, you know, Biden and Harris. But home reduction is really just, uh, and I say just, that's minimizing. So I say home reduction is really something that uh, is more of a, like a, a pragmatic or like a, com uh, like a compassionate way of trying to kind of like bring people uh, to a place where they can stay healthy uh, if, while they're in the thick of use, which already is a stigma. When you use drugs, people look down on you, right? That's kind of the way it's been. So um having a place where you can go and get some support in the middle of your addiction while also receiving education and being provided with resources to community-based programs housing um uh, testing sites uh medication for hep c hep b hep a um or connected to you know medical providers that can do that for you needle exchange programs uh actually ssps uh syringe uh, service programs, syringe. Did I say that right? You got it. We were struggling with this that. acronym. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, but uh, it's it, it's a place where people truly are met where they are. Like, so the the, the patient in this case is not kind of like lost in the thick of you know the recovery world because they're still in their use. They're met where they are which is, you know, you walk through a door and a person on the other side of a desk or sitting right next to them will look them in the eye, reassure them that there's help available, but also provide them with safer methods of um, using substances that are illegal as well as uh, harmful uh, and coaching them along the way. It, and it's, it's, it can be a really compassionate and awesome way to uh, attract people into a different way of living rather than telling them they should or locking them away because they can't stop. Yeah, absolutely. So I saw something really cool the other day on Instagram that I want to share with y'all. Um, there's this guy I follow on Instagram. It's called Reaction Recovery. I don't know anything about him, but he's got good stuff. And he said this. He said, addiction is the only chronic condition where anything less than 100% symptom remission forever is considered a failure. Jason, the floor is yours. That, that, that's pretty heavy. Um, yeah, right, right. I have to let the breath out on that one. That damn, Jason, Joseph. <laughs> but, you know, and I, I come from, you know, I, I am, I work a twelve-step program and got clean through Recovery Unplugged plus a twelve-step program. So that's how I know how to get clean, right? So, um, or sober, or in recovery. What have you. So if somebody asks me to help them personally go through, you know, the 12 steps and have me mentor them and help them through it, that's the only way I know how to guide them through it. However, my opinion has greatly changed on what is good for me might not be good for someone else. I know, Joseph, I've heard you say, I don't remember the exact number that you use, but, you know, there's a thousand ways in and a thousand ways out. Um, and I truly believe that. And just I think Moving to Austin really opened my eyes to that because I see a lot of people who use different methods of recovery and, you know, and, and that's where the gray area is, is like certain things that could be called recovery and certain things in certain circles that would be called recovery that that are kind of shunned in other circles. Um, you know, I've just come to a place personally like that's not up to me, like, you know, whatever, whatever works for you and keeps you healthy and alive, like fantastic for me I, I have my way and like for instance like I know that this is I, I've I've talked to a couple of people about this who, who don't think I'm the best person for saying this but I will not so I will not sponsor somebody who's on Suboxone like I will help them and 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 guide them along but I'm not going to start step work with them just because that's the way it was done with me and that's the only way I know how to help somebody however if you know, a, a long-term Suboxone maintenance is going to help this person um, thrive. And I've seen plenty of people thrive on Suboxone maintenance. Like, I'm all for it. So, so let me ask you. I, I, I got to push on this a little bit, Jason. Um, 
why? Just because I'm, I'm a firm believer, like I, I followed somebody who 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 did it a certain way and that's how they got it, right? That That's the way they did it and they could only show me that way because that's how they did it. It's sort of like a, tra it's, it's tradition, you know? Um, and like I said, like I have nothing against or don't think that, 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 that somebody who, who does that has any less recovery than I do, which, which, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say things to the contrary about that, but you know, yeah. I, in, in that, in that way, I've become more open-minded about it, but I've definitely, for me personally, this is what works for me. And if you want to follow my path, this is, this is how I can show you to do it. If that doesn't work for you, please try something else. Like, you know, if, if abstinence only isn't going to work for you, please try something else. Um, so I got a question for you, Joseph. What do okay. you think about California sober? You know what? I actually saw a post today where, where a very prominent uh, professional in the treatment industry was posting on Facebook and had been interviewed for an article asking them, you know, his opinion on the California sober thing. Because uh, he very publicly was like, shame on The weekend and shame on Demi Lovato for, for pushing this false narrative. And I'm so glad that uh, I think Demi Lovato just came out that she's like, sober sober now right whatever that oh, is and fantastic. and i am all for california sober if that's what works for somebody like so now i am i'm like you jason i work a 12-step program got sober abstinence only very old school boot scrap like yell at you kind of kind of sponsorship that i had back in the day but recovery to me is a spectrum you know and anything that helps you get to a place where you're not hurting yourself or the people around you or are decreasing how much you hurt yourself and hurt the people around you i believe is something to be celebrated um now i didn't start there right like i started very like this is the only way and then my mind opened a little and a little and a little but i think that if if there's an individual who is struggling with drugs and alcohol severely and now they pay their bills, they're in a healthy relationship, they're not hurting the people around them, they've got a job, they're productive, they're happy with where they are and they happen to smoke a little weed every now and then, go for it. Yeah. You know, um, I think that one of the, one of the things that, that is tough is that until Bill and Bob said we have a way to get people sober every other class of professional had thrown their hands up in the air with alcoholics and addicts you know so for um, tracy in wisconsin do you want to tell them who who those people are yeah, yeah. so so bill and i'm going to give you all real quick a 101 um, i'm going to try to do it super super quick but um so for you know alcohol and drugs have been a problem for millennia Right. Like there's there's passages in the Bible that warn against the dangers of alcohol. Right. Um, and over over the millennia, over the centuries, you know, doctors, clergymen, early psychiatrists and therapists um, ha have all tried to heal alcoholism in different ways. Right. Exorcisms, um, lobotomies, uh, doing all, all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. And they all kind of threw their hands up in the air up until Bill and Bob started. AA. They were really the first individuals and AA was the first organization to say, we have something that we know will work if people follow these directions. Right. So because of that, their definition of recovery became the de facto definition of recovery. Right. Now, they started AA in 1945. And in the past 80 years or whatever it is, we, we have research and advances in science and in medicine and all these amazing things and have come to understand that um, a, a spectrum of recovery, that, that there's all kinds of different ways people recover, some with medication, some without, some uh, moving from a, a more addictive substance to a less addictive substance, some reducing the frequency of their relapses 
et cetera, et cetera, you know, has, has really broadened that term to where like you're in recovery when you say you are, at least to me. Right. And so, yeah, I don't, I'm super liberal though. I'm, I'm like to the far left of what, <laughs> of what most people are supportive of and, and that's okay. All right. You know, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I, as as y'all are talking, I'm thinking about you know that statement that you know that that maybe even a, a bit of an oath that I took as a as a licensed mental health counselor, and that's you know that's do no harm. Uh, so it, that one statement alone really does kind of wrap or, or encourages me, demands me as a professional, a licensed professional, to wrap my arms around everybody that that kind of comes through that door. Uh, uh, for treatment, for care, uh, for services. So, um, although there there are the hey, you know what? This is the way that I've been taught. This, you know, all although that's that's very uh, real and and very effective uh, when you're kind of like holding that hard line for people to really kind of like step up to it and grab somebody else's hand and walk that line. I'm watching, you know, I'm watching how we're still able to reach many, many other people uh, and get them to that place, right? The, the maintenance-assisted treatment is working uh, in effect to help people get to a better place of living and ultimately, you know, one that, that may be sober, right? Completely sober, completely well, um, walking the line and, of recovery. And that's a great point. The, the harm reduction spectrum includes complete abstinence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum. Yep. So, yeah. So cool. So, so uh, now I know we've we've talked a lot about you know we got into it a little bit about the suboxone, right? Which is kind of like one of the most hot button things. Um, but but harm reduction isn't just medication assisted treatment or medication assisted recovery, right? It's um, drug testing supplies, right, to make sure that your stuff isn't cut with fentanyl. It's clean injection sites. It's um, needle exchange programs. It's um, on some of the more extreme ends. I always forget if it's like, I think I want to say Switzerland or the Netherlands. You can actually register with the government as a heroin addict and will be given um, tested, regulated, clean heroin um, on a daily basis. Yes, Switzerland. Right. Switzerland. I looked Switzerland. into trying to move there when I when I first found out about. That. <laughs> I feel like I I'm, think we all I'm from the pond. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so let's let's jump through all those real quick, right? So, so, so drug testing kits for mm-hmm. or against? For. Well, I, I'm going to say that everything that you mentioned would have helped me when I was out there in my active addiction because I've got. So if we're going just subject to subject, I'm all for it because yeah. I've gotten bad drugs before and overdosed. So yeah. I, I, that would have helped me. Now, would I have taken the time to actually test it? That I'm not sure. Um, you know, because I'm sure, Joseph, you can attest. Like if you're if you're sick and you're just getting your dope, um, the last thing that you're really thinking of is is testing. I think testing, it means you start taking a little and then seeing if you survive then yeah no well you bring up a good point right you know um most opiate addicts who overdose and die are are their highest risk of over of over of overdose and death is on a relapse right that first shot after they've had a tolerance and and jason did just bring up you know a really common practice right You, you you load your fix do just a little bit of it to test it and then do more. But um, absolutely. And I think especially with, you know, you and I got sober before the fentanyl stuff really, really hit the streets. Right. So where. Me, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you could, you could be, you know, I mean, they got the press pills now where you think you're taking one thing and, and it's something completely different. Cliff, where are you at on the, on the testing kids? I'm definitely for it. Um, you know, I feel like education uh, and access to that, that knowledge could possibly save uh, save lives. You know, I was just thinking or talking. You know, I remember the the time of you know the the statement being uh, pushed around, which is you know live to use, and then all of a sudden it trans it, tra- it, it progresses into using to live. And if somebody's sick, you know, and the only medication that they're getting is bad medication, 
like we would address that in a hospital. So why would we address that in, in the community if we have resources to do that or to try and at least keep people healthy enough, long enough to get access to uh, MAT or maintenance assisted treatment or counseling or something, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So we're getting some we're getting some great feedback in the in the chatter too. Very active. I mean, I told y'all this is topic was going to be a little a little more controversial than some. Um, but everybody in the chat is saying they're for the testing for sure. Um, Crystal Renee actually said, she said, my friends keep dying from fentanyl. If they had test kits and Narcan, maybe they'd be alive today. Absolutely. That's happening too much uh, all over the country. Um, and I think a lot of folks think that, you know, well, you chose to do drugs, right? Like a, a lot of folks still view drug use as, as a moral failing, right? You're a bad person. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's go to supervised injection sites. For or against? For, so, and for, for those of y'all, for, for Tracy in in Oregon or Ohio, wherever Tracy is, <laughs> she uh, so supervised test sites are are places where they provide clean, uh, you know, a clean, safe environment with. Um, very often, they'll have supplies like sterilized water, clean needles, um, etc. And there's typically a, a medical staff of some sort on hand, a nurse, not to assist, but to supervise. And if anything goes wrong, they have things like Narcan, um, those little machines that shock your heart and things like that. Um, to where it's really just providing a place where, you know, if you're going to use these drugs, we hope you don't die while you do it. Um, so for or against, guys. I'm definitely for, and you know, some of some of the against that I've heard is like, you're going to have to pay for people to staff these places and these, you know, you're going to have to have a place to to do this and all that and all the resources that kind of go into it. But you know, I know in certain areas like EMTs are overrun with 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 fentanyl overdoses, and that's all they deal with. You know what I mean? So I think it would help the community at large, and I think it would give you know, it could give more resources back to the community if, you know, if other people like like first responders don't have to deal with overdoses as much. And, you know, JC, you know, when <clears throat> when you look at first responders, I, I really do see those people who are actually on site watching or monitoring uh, people coming into um, uh, coming into a building in order to be safe housed while they use uh, dangerous substances, like those faces that, that they're walking in and connecting with turn into the a person that they begin to talk to, right? That actually kind of yeah, like right. walks them walks them in a different direction um, yeah. because of that level of, uh, and, and dare I say acceptance, uh, I won't say approval, right? But I'll say acceptance, uh, acceptance for their struggle, acceptance for where they are. And then ultimately being a helping hand. Um, real quick, shout out. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm saying hello to Patrick. Hey, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> you watching the chat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so trying to keep up. Uh, a, a really cool experience I got to have a couple years ago is so this must have been 2019 because we didn't wear masks yet. Um, I got to go speak at a law enforcement leadership conference and was able to co-present with uh with the sheriff of of uh or the police chief uh of a little little town up in illinois we presented together about how police can work with their treatment community to to do better for the communities that they both serve and i had this really cool experience of afterwards uh, an officer came up to me who was from canada and i want to say toronto but i could be wrong but wherever they opened the first injection, safe injection site in all of Canada. And that was in this guy's neighborhood, like on his beat that he would walk on. And he told me, he shared with me how when they first opened it, he was super, super against it. And he thought it was going to make his job harder and that it was them being soft on crime. But then he did exactly what you said, Clifton. He hung out. At first he hung out just to see, you know, and like mm -hmm. kind of mean mug people. Mm -hmm. But... But he eventually started building relationships with some of these guys and that the first time one of them came up to him and said, like, hey, man, like, do you know, do you have any idea how I could stop doing this? That like he 
his whole narrative on it flipped and he got it. I thought that was super cool. Um, all right. So what about uh, syringe exchanges uh, or four. syringe service programs? Four? Four. Clifton says four. I'll say Jason. four. And I'm... Go ahead. Go ahead, Clifton. I'll go ahead, Cliff. Yes, sir. No, I say four because of uh, some of the medical challenges that kind of come or stem from uh, uh, needle um, needle sharing, right? Um, most people who are actually using some of these illicit substances really don't have the insurance coverage to actually uh, help them out whenever they do get into the hospital. So either they're uh, either they're getting to a certain place in their uh, in their medical bills and they can no longer receive uh, the care and, and and treatment that they need. And then they wind up actually experiencing some additional uh, some additional uh, issues or suffer some additional challenges because of the fact that they have just been desperate to actually use something. So I say four. You know, once again, it's a it's a access to different levels of care. Hopefully, getting them in the right way. Absolutely, Jason. One hundred percent four. I have complete horror stories because I, I, you know, or I shut dope in, in Dayton, Broward County, Florida, mostly, and there, there's no sort of needle exchange program or anything like that there. So I knew where to, I knew a detox where people would go, when they would go into detox, there was a rock where they would hide their crack stems and, and needles. Um, and I would just go and grab them. And, if, you know, if, if I had time to wash them, I would, if I didn't, you know, I would just use them. So I have, I, I got hep C. I had cellulitis more times than I'd like to even think about. Was hospitalized for it, and yes, yeah, so 100% for just because uh, you know it could have it could have ended up a lot worse for me. Yeah, same, same. You know, I I, I shared needles with some questionable people. You know, um, many times there was one time that that I shared a needle with someone that I was just like, yeah, for sure. Like this is, you know, I'm signing up for some sort of disease. Um, and, and it's a shame, right? That people have, you know, the, 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 that someone could think to themselves like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and risk it with this dirty needle. When, wh what does a syringe cost? Like not even retail, right? Like what does a syringe cost? Like what pennies to make one? Right. Yeah. On, on the, on oh. the streets in, in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, they're $5 each. Oh man, I never paid more than two. <laughs> but um, so and 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 it, it makes me think about something else, Clifton. You you kind of made me think about it. Is uh, you know, you were you were mentioning how you know someone shares needles, they get some sort of disease, some sort of infection. Now they're going to the hospital. They don't have insurance. Um, and Jason, you mentioned it earlier, right? Like, well, who's going to pay to staff these 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 safe injection sites? And who's going to the, the thing is that we're already absorbing, taxpayers are already absorbing a lot of the cost to medically treat individuals who suffer from HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, um, staph infections, um, all these things that come from sharing dirty rigs, mm -hmm. right? So um, I think it's actually, there's a far better harm reduction person than me would probably know the exact number, but it's something like every dollar spent on harm reduction and or prevention saves like $18 in, in the, you know, in, in all the cost to treat stuff. So, and it looks like everybody in our chat is also very much for all of it. Y'all <laughs> the, the, the testing strips, the meds, the safe injection sites. Um, so, so, there has to be one person who's con about some of this stuff. Come on, let's get. Okay, some okay, 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 okay. I'm gonna scroll. I'm gonna scroll way back in the chatter. Okay, hold on. There was let's one. Talk to our producer. Was there any, ne any negative? No. Well, she says no. No, there was one. There was one person. Okay. Here we had a comment at uh, at seven eighteen p.m. So about twenty minutes ago, we were on a different topic at the time. Um, but Victoria A. in the chatter said. But isn't Suboxone just another drug? I'm not degrading anyone by any means for using it as a step of recovery, but it can be abused and you can be dependent on it. Am I right? Question mark. Um, so I think that's something that we've all heard at one point, right? That argument. Um, so, so what do you guys say to that? You know, it, Suboxone is a drug. It does change the way you feel. It can be abused. So how, how do we... Um, 
rectify that with a program of recovery. So, you know, I think a lot of it's in the, the, the eye of the beholder. You know what I mean? It's um, it, it's a gray area. So say and, I, and I'm going through this with, with somebody who I know who's who's been in jail for a while. Right. They've been in jail for like six, seven months. Um, they detoxed in jail and getting out. They want to go on a suboxone maintenance program. And it's like for there, I would think like that sounds like I just want one more one. Free, you know what I mean? But if there's somebody who's seriously detoxing and wants to like continue their life and, and like integrate it in and then maybe slowly go off of a taper or something like that, I think that is a, a proper use of it and not abuse. So, you know, it's one of those things it could be used. It depends what somebody's intentions are, I suppose. I don't know. Okay. Which is really interesting, right? Because we never talk about motives or intentions with blood pressure medication or insulin, right? Which right. I mean, that's part of how addiction is a little bit more of a complex topic, right? Right. But I mean, so, you know, if, if, if I took a little piece of Suboxone right now, I would, you know, it would, I would be high as hell, you know? But for somebody who's coming off, but for somebody who's coming off of heroin, um, they're taking Suboxone. They're not getting high off of it. They're just, you know, it's just keeping them from going into withdrawal. So, 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 Clifton, what's your response when someone says, "Hey, but you can get high on Suboxone"? You know, and I go back to what you were saying. You know, Joe, uh, really looking at uh, the intention behind it, um, and, and that's something that we all have to be responsible and accountable to. Is uh, you know, the intentions of our heart, the conscience of our heart. Am I doing this? in order to escape something or am I doing this in order to get bet on something? Um, I totally support people actually, you know, utilizing, utilizing Suboxone in order to, in order to keep them from going into the depths of their uh, opioid addiction. Um, uh, I, I, I don't support them hiding behind it. You know, me as a therapist hiding behind it so that they don't face um, their, their struggles with addiction, yet alone any of the, the mental challenges or mental illness challenges that they're, they're coming into my office with. Um, the hope would be that everybody who's actually being exposed to to any good support out there, whether it be you know the the suboxone or maintenance assisted treatment or a good qualified therapist, that they're actually utilizing that to its fullest in order to get them to the the place that they want to be in, which is a, a healthier version of themselves. Yeah, right on. <clears throat> so 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 I want to push a little bit more here, you guys. Uh -oh. um, uh, I, I think we've established I, I'm the most left-leaning <laughs> on all of this stuff. <laughs> so let's say someone's been on a stable dose of Suboxone for a year. You know, they, they're seeing a therapist. They're, uh, you know, they've got a job. All, all the major areas of their life have kind of stabilized. They're doing pretty good. Um, should that person taper off? of the suboxone can, can you can you say can you say that one more time i'm sorry so someone's been on suboxone for a year have not used any other substances besides their suboxone they've taken their suboxone as prescribed everything in their life has stabled out you know to where they've, they've got housing they've got a job they've got food they, they all that good stuff is going on in their lives should they taper off so, you you I, I say, I say it really depends on where they are. You know, can they taper off? Uh, so when you say should, then I see that hard line where it's like, okay, well, you're doing all these great things. You should definitely do it. Um, sometimes people people hadn't been receiving the necessary um, uh, psychological support in order to maintain a healthy ego, in order to continue to walk that line that they've been carrying while having that supportive device. So it's almost like ripping a pillar out without having that additional healthier support provided. So I, my rec personal recommendation would be that they're actually seeking support from the rooms. They're actually seeking support from a, a, good, a, good, um, a good sponsor, a good mentor, a good therapist, a good psychiatrist. Uh, and they're actually walking, uh, they're walking through their uh, progression in order to get off of and let go of um, the Suboxone, for instance. 
Jason, do you have any thoughts to contribute? The only thing that I, I would, you know, have any feelings towards is that, or, or any um, advice or suggestion I would give somebody who is wanting to, to maybe taper off Suboxone, I would say, you know, so while, you, while you're on the Suboxone, what happens if there's one day where it's not available, one day where you can't get it down the road? And then you're going to be physically ill. And then the chances are you just wanting to stay physically ill when you know you can remedy it pretty quickly. That That's where the uh, relapse rates go, go really high up. So, um, yeah, I would definitely suggest them doing it, but under, you know, some sort of supervision, you know, and, and having that backup to be like, listen, this is too much. I can't handle it. And they have the option to, to go back onto this box and. And that, that, yeah. Right on, right on. And that one kind of got you off. But just so you guys know, right, like, there's no right answers in this, right? Like, that's one, of, that's one of the reasons why we can have a show every week and not run out of stuff to talk about is because it's so complex, right? Um, you know, we're not even talking like socioeconomics and education and ethnicity breakdown and all that kind of stuff and how that plays into um, recovery rates with different types of, uh, interventions. Um, so, okay. So let's see, we got a couple more, more little bullet points to hit before we kind of start wrapping things up. Um, why do you guys think, you know, you, you know, harm reduction is something that gets people's, you know, their, their defenses up. Um, I know I very often find myself on Facebook getting in arguments with people <laughs> about, you know, different types of, of recovery and harm reduction and all that kinds of stuff. Why do y'all think that is? Like, why, why, why do we get so up in arms about this? Um, I think a lot of it can be just a lack of empathy. Somebody who, like you were talking about earlier, said, well, you, it was your choice to take drugs in the first place. Like, why... You know, there's such a stigma behind it, and, and a lot of it is just because people don't understand. But then usually when somebody has a loved one who goes through it personally, uh, a lot of opinions really change, you know? Yeah. I, and, I, and Jesse, you hit the nail on the head, you know, the, the ability for, you know, uh, society at large to actually embrace persons struggling with addiction, uh, the disease of addiction, right? Um, it... it, it it, it becomes uh, sticky whenever you start getting into people who are who are more oppositional in times out of ten. They're oppositional because they have lost a loved one. They do they they do know what it feels like, or they're just completely ignorant to what it what it means to struggle under the uh, the disease of addiction. Um, that empathic ability is not something that everybody would reach for. It's kind of easier for. Um, uh, somebody up here to actually shake their finger at somebody that's struggling with it down here because of the lack of uh, or the lack of a desire even to to want to understand. Uh, it just kind of gives them a safer distance uh, from an emotional and, and psychological standpoint. Yeah, so I, I think that's a that's a great point y'all both bring up. There's there's a a there's a twelve step speaker a guy by the name of Bill C who said something that really stuck with me. He said um, that what kept on happening in his recovery is that he would have an opinion of something and then he would have an experience with it and then his opinion would change. Um, and I know that definitely applies for, for me and, and what Jason was talking about. You know, when people have all these opinions until their family member goes through it. Um, I, for me, I, I can cite the specific person that made me start opening up my mind up about medication assisted treatment and harm reduction interventions. Um, I had a friend, um, who we, we got into treatment around the same time, you know, we picked up our one-year chips uh, the same month, you know, at the same birthday meeting at, at our home group. And he relapsed shortly after that and spent the next five years kind of picking up six months, nine months relapse, six months, nine months relapse. And he was the type of guy that when he relapsed, like he would burn his life to the ground in a weekend. You know, like crash his car, cheat on his girlfriend, lose his job, end up in the ER, 24-hour period, right? And, you know, he, he, and he is someone who really did 
he did the 12 steps. Like he sponsored people. He had a sponsor. He did all the stuff, you know, um, to the best of his ability. And then after about five years of that, he had a doctor say, we're going to put you on Suboxone or you're just going to stay on Suboxone until, until you're not. And that friend of mine, he spent about three years on Suboxone. And in those three years, he got off of probation or parole. Probation. He got off of probation. He met a girl. He got married, finished college, bought a house. Um, and when they were getting ready to have their first kid is when he went to his doctor, like Jason was talking about and both y'all mentioned, right? He went to his doctor and said, hey, I want to come off of this before we have our, our first kid. And they tapered him down for like six months, like little bitty, 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 bitty. And that friend of mine, like I couldn't turn to him and say, okay, you've got one day sober now that you that you finally got off the of Suboxone, you know? Because his life, he had recovered, you know, in all these different areas. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, you know, getting – you don't know it, so it's easy to judge it, and then someone comes into your orbit, right? Someone you care about goes through it, and it, it changes, right? And, and I see a lot of it in, in, in the chatter, too, right? People talking about their sons, their daughters, their moms. Um, and having all these different experiences with it. Um, we did have another question in the chatter that I don't want to miss. Um, Cindy Golombeski, I think I'm saying that right. She said, how would you describe mental health and addiction? Are they the same as one? So like, are they one and the same? Is, is addiction mental health? Um, this sounds like a cliff question. You got the letters. So, so you know, it's, it's identified really as well as uh, through American Psychological Association and the DSM-5. Um, you know, substance use disorder is classified as a disorder. So it, it, it is classified as uh, a mental health issue as well as a medical issue. Um, so yes, Sydney, I say yes. Um, yeah. I could continue to go down and break that down even further, but yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> this is great that now this is one of the easy questions to answer, right? Because American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association, like it, we've, I think we've finally gotten to a point in society where we understand for the most part that addiction isn't about bad people. You know, it's, it's a, right. a disease. It's a disorder, just like anything else. You um, know, there, there, there's, I, there's a big difference and, you know, you guys both working in treatment for a long time can attest to this. There, there's a huge difference between somebody who has, let's say like what I have. I put a chemical in my body and I'm off to the races no matter what. I'm that guy. You know what I mean? I'm going to crash my car. I'm going to lose my house within a week. I'm going to, th that's me. Then somebody who got prescribed some medication and got physically addicted. And then, you know, they, they do whatever they have to do to get off of it. And then they're some, they're restored. You know what I mean? They got their yeah. problem out of the way. Now they get back to their life. Cause I've seen plenty of people like that. You know, they, they don't need to do, what I do with my 12 step programs and, and stay abstinent for the rest of my life. So, you know, I, 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 that, that's where I believe that it's, there's definitely, there's definitely something within me that it's like, you know, if I have one bite of ice cream, I'm eating the whole pint, you know, that's just, yeah. that's just something that's, that's in me. Well, that's like, uh, like in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, right. They talk about the hard drinker, right. That looks like an alcoholic, right. The way they drink is an, is the way alcoholics drink, right? But but the difference is the spiritual malady, right? You know, AA talks about there's a you know disease of the body, mind, and spirit, and in the you know in more professional language, it's referred to as a biopsychosocial disease, right? It's got these these three components to really be it, right? And and you're right. Give anybody opiates for for thirty days straight, they're going to get physically dependent. Period. Right. Is this biology? Um, the difference between, you know, what AA calls the real alcoholic, right, or the true addict is is that to me, I believe, is that spiritual component. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that w without a substance in my body, my natural state is irritable, restless and discontent, you know, um, and that's why people like you and me, I think, Jason, have no real option other than to continue to do some sort of spiritual work um, for the rest of our lives. If we want to keep, if we want to maintain the state of abstinence that we have uh, achieved. Wait, the rest of my life? Are you serious? 
Oh God! I mean, like you can up. stop whenever you want, Chase. <laughs> Cliff, what were you gonna say, man? Uh, no, I, uh, I, I mean, I, a, I really appreciate and respect the fact that you two are so uh, candid and out there with, um, you know, with your information and your experience, um, and I really, I really see how when you open it up and exposing you know, I guess the truth, whether it be about yourself or about the current situation regarding the, you know, this pandemic that we're dealing with regarding fentanyl. Um, uh, when you start opening yourself up to that or opening up about that, all of a sudden, you know, people are kind of like, kind of like pigeonhole it. Well, let's put it in a box and let's kind of keep it tight because it becomes, it becomes such a large conversation that people almost feel like they get lost in it. Like, well, I don't really know what my position is now that we're talking about it and airing it out, the reality is is that like if you look at it as a medical issue, or if you look at it as a physical, excuse me, or as a psychological issue, it issue, right? What came first, the chicken or the egg? I'm saying this with with all you know all the earnestness in my heart. Like it, it's a problem. If it's a problem. And if it's a problem, there are plenty of people and plenty of places that you can actually get some assistance in it, no matter if you see it as medical or psychological, whether it's an addiction or it's a, you know, a, 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 a mental health disorder. Like it's, it's, a, it's a problem. Does that make sense? I like that. I, just... I really like that. I've never heard anybody put it like that, but yeah, it's a problem, period. And, and okay, so could we apply that same logic? to harm reduction, right? Like, is it the right solution? Is it the wrong solution? Is it a perfect solution? You know, I, and I think that's why I fall where I fall, right? Is like addiction, regardless of how and why and what, it, it causes harm, you know? It causes suffering. And harm reduction, all of it, right? From abstinence to the testing to the safe injection sites reduces suffering. You know, and that's where I kind of fall in like, you know, you say, who cares what? It's a problem. I'm over here like, well, who cares what? It's a solution mm -hmm. or, or part of a solution, right? You know, when, um, when you, as you, I'm sorry, Joe, as you're talking, no, thinking about, you know, if, if, if the three of us were to engage, let's say an, uh, an elementary student will stay there in first grade. If we were to engage a first grader in a conversation about quantum physics, I don't know if they'd necessarily be able to keep up with this, depending on how good of teachers we are, right? We might be able to have like that elementary conversation with the, the, the first grader, you know, they start firing and, you know, catching the, the, uh, the, the equations that we're throwing at them or the conversation. Yeah. But if we, if, we have, if we have a version of that conversation that's broken down and palatable for that first grader, we may have inspired that for, first grader to go and become a quantum physicist, right? Right. If we can actually break it down and and feed them like pieces that they can that they can understand, just like harm reduction is designed and meant to break down and feed people help with what they need or can understand or can accept that they can accept where they are, right? First grade or graduate school, which is like you know being Jason Sponti. <laughs> love it love it y'all so this is this is you know first i want to real quick acknowledge everybody in the chat today it's been a really active chat and and that makes me real happy and it really feeds this conversation we're running low on time so i'm going to go ahead and ditch the rest of our talking points so we can get the questions from the folks who are here right now um because i think that's re really important right um so we talked about addiction and mental health Okay, I think we answered this already, but Cindy asked a follow-up question. She said, does addiction stem from mental health and vice versa? And I think, yeah, either or. Sometimes addiction leads to mental health issues, and sometimes mental health issues lead to addiction. Um, uh, a thousand roads in, a thousand roads out. You know? um, and then we had a question from uh, Kim Amabile. And she said, do any of you believe that one can go to treatment too many times? 
So speaking from experience, I was told that I had gone to treatment too many times and that I wasn't going to learn anything new and that, you know, I was just going in and taking up space. Right. And but then I was told. So if you're not ready to do something while you're here, don't come back. It wasn't don't come back. It was don't come back with the same attitude. And. You know, I, I'm not going to say that I, I learned anything new or different my last time in treatment, but there there was um, there was definitely a willingness in me that had changed. So no, I don't think I don't think anybody should give up if that ha if they have that desire to to help themselves, then I absolutely do not think that there there is too many times because I went uh, 20 times total. Yeah, as, as you know, as a therapist working in the treatment in the in the uh, in the treatment center uh, of recovery unplugged with what we call repeat clients, you know, it was my approach was okay. Well, I need to say it different, right? I need to I need to I need to say it a different way. I need to speak a different way as a participant in their process because maybe that one new piece of information or that one piece of information that they heard before, but they didn't like click with it, maybe they'll get it the next time they go. And that's that hope aspect of it, which kind of feeds into which I was speaking about this regarding the spiritual uh, component of this uh, of this disease, right? Yeah, um, I, I, as a therapist, say, no, bring your ass back and allow us a shot at, you know, at giving you maybe one piece of information that you fell asleep on in the 1030 group, you know, let's see, let's see if you can hear it this time. Yeah. Then there, there's also it. some people who I knew who did it kind of like a lifestyle and, and used it as sort of a safety net to be like, well, I could get high again and then come back to treatment who never made it back. So yeah. again, with intentions, like if yeah. you're, if you're saying like, I could get high again because I could go back to treatment. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm quite on board with that one, but no, I think if there's a, a, a genuine willingness, then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll add a caveat to it. You know, I think, you know, learning to not get high and live life sober is a skill set, right? And we learn skills by repetition, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, whether you're learning the mechanics of how to throw a baseball properly, um, or you're uh, memorizing lines for a play, right? Like humans, we learn through repetition. And uh, I, I'm like, Jason, I didn't hear anything revolutionary the last time I got I went to treatment, right? But I heard some of the same things enough times that I was like, okay, I guess I, I guess maybe that's right. Um, I will add a caveat to the, that though. I do think that a person can go back to the same treatment center too many times. Right. Yeah, um, so I went to a little plug for unplugged as I went to treatment 19 times and then recovery unplugged once and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for because that. Of Clifton, specifically <laughs> because of Clifton. <laughs> Don't do that to me. You guys, I'm going to get hate text messages from my, my former colleagues now. <laughs> no. it, was a, but, it was a team effort. Yeah. Yes, it was. But. Yeah. But because like one thing that I think we don't ask ourselves in addiction, because, you know, when someone relapses, right, it's always what did you do wrong? Right. Like, why did you relapse? Right. Like, was it girls? Was it money? Was it you quit working your steps? Like, well, it's your fault that this happened. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think at some point we have to ask ourselves, like, is it their fault or is it that they didn't get the right treatment for them? Right? Well, you said maybe they needed more something. mental health treatment maybe they needed more trauma treatment maybe they needed the equine therapy maybe they needed uh an all-male programmer an all-female programmer whatever right you said something really key uh joe you said bio psycho social right yeah. those components are really fundamental whenever we're you know discharging a client from treatment or i'm discharging a client from services it's do you have the biological support, the psychological support, and, and also the uh, the psycho, oh, psychological support and social, support, social. Excuse me, that's a really big piece of social support, right? We teach yeah. that, right? Yeah. 
And then let's get one more question from the from the chat before we wrap it up. This is a fun one. Uh, what are your thoughts on alternative treatments for depression for people with SUD, specifically ketamine therapy and microdosing psilocybin? Microdosing. Well, didn't we say home reduction? We said maintenance, uh, maintenance-assisted treatment. Yeah, I mean, the, re- the listen, the research is coming in where people are getting better having an an avenue. You said you said uh, how many roads in? How many roads out? Uh, at least a thousand. A thousand roads in oh. and a thousand roads out. Okay, do we include that in the number? I, I do. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, Not for me like personally, that. but you know, if it's <laughs> if it's working for somebody and they are thriving with it, then Godspeed. I'll, I'll say, you know, um, Bill Wilson, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, went on a, a very famous bicycle ride through the, uh, the rainforest in South America while tripping on LSD. Because even back in the, the late 50s and early 60s, we were already looking into the use of psychedelics for the treatment of mental health issues. Um, there's there's a ton out. of research on MDMA being used to treat PTSD. Um, ketamine specifically for treatment resistant depression. That's one thing that, that I think people don't hear enough is that ketamine is like the big guns and you, you don't, you don't need the big guns until you've tried out the little stuff, you know, tried other interventions first, but ketamine is something that is really, you know, it's, um, it's really gaining a lot of traction. There's a lot of evidence there, uh, Again, I have a I have a friend who has been doing the ketamine infusions for a while, and when he doesn't get the infusion, it's bad, and he's and he's not addiction; it's just depression. Um, so I think I think we're uh, all on board for this one. Uh, thank you for the question, Colin. On that, Colin Blake. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. So um, wrapping up our show, this is a good topic, you guys. We actually we've already blown past the hour. So Clifton, you've you've met your commitment. You can just cut out whenever you want. Don't, <laughs> don't. But yeah, um, yeah. All right, see you later. <laughs> I, I, I do want to take a second to acknowledge our behind-the-scenes team, uh, Gabby Delgado, who has been such a big driving force for keeping us organized and getting this show on the air and uh, making all these good things happen tomorrow is actually her last day with recovery unplugged i don't know if we can get gabby to come on camera real quick come on get there she is y'all this is gabby she cut she keeps us in line she is a phenomenal human being and has been given a, a super cool opportunity to grow professionally and financially and in, in her life and and we wish her nothing but the best Gabby, do you want to say anything? You don't have to. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so thank you, Gabby. We're going to miss you, but I know, um, you know, we'll see you again because you're in the same room as Jason. Uh, (laughs) She's right there. She's just... Jason just panned a little bit to the right. We'll be okay. Anyway, um, so uh, thank you guys, everybody who showed up today in the chatter. I loved all the interaction. You know, if you uh, if you heard something good here tonight that helped you or maybe gave you an inspiration to help someone that you love or maybe helped you understand a little bit more about someone that you love and what they're dealing with, um, please, you know, help us get the word out there. Like it and share it. It feels so lame to say that but like like share and follow please um uh, this this uh the video of this will live forever on youtube and um, we're still working on getting it in podcast form to be able to have it on on all those other platforms but we really you know i think uh, you guys in the chatter would agree that we're doing important work here and we want to get it out to as many people as possible so we would really really appreciate that and thank you for all your interaction Jason, thank you as always for your presence and your uh, counterpoint and, and ideas and thoughts. Um, I love it. And Clifton, as our guest, you get the last word. Um, if, if you want to, um, 
y'all, Clifton is a wonderful private practice therapist in South Florida. He is available for private practice counseling and all kinds of other stuff. He has a great website. It's fairassociates.com, F-E-H-R associates.com. But Clifton, the final word is yours. Um, take us out, bud. Yeah, I, I say thank you once again for allowing me to connect with you all again. Um, this has just been a real treat for me. Uh, definitely a high of my week. Um, the the hope is that not only did somebody take something from this that they can actually hold on to for themselves and possibly even share that with another person that will just kind of keep that uh, that miracle happening um, as far as healing taking place. But uh, also for all of us here on this on this show tonight, being able to uh, make sure that you stay committed to just trying one more time, whether it's trying to have a conversation with your loved one or it's trying to actually get some help in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Then we can all commit to that. I promise that things will change for us on a on, on a major level. So I'm, I wish you all the best of luck in this journey, and please reach out. Thank you, Cliff. That was very well said. Everybody else, thank you so much. We'll see you here same time next week. Um, with a different topic that I don't know what it is. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>